Uh, we've been kind of walking through this series of walking through the book of First John and uh, looking at how John, who is an early follower of Jesus Christ, loved Jesus. Jesus loved John, and John was encouraging his, his flock, his fellow disciples, to seek to live the life of Jesus, a life of love. And of course, that is being challenged uh, by a group of false teachers, and we're going to kind of get into that this morning. John was likely refuting uh, an increasingly popular idea that would later be called Gnosticism. So we're going to talk a little bit about Gnosticism this morning. A fancy little term comes from the idea of Gnosis or knowledge. Gnosticism was a combination of Greek dualism that separated reality into the categories of the physical and the spiritual. And this dualism in Gnosticism encouraged a dislike for the material world in favor of the spiritual world by teaching that matter is innately bad. So all of matter is bad, spiritual good, right? So this led to extremes on both sides. This led to the extreme of self-denial and harsh treatment of the body, or to other extremes where anything you do in the body is okay, whether it's sex, alcohol, food, whatever. It doesn't matter. Matter doesn't matter, so what you do in the body doesn't matter. It's all about your spirit. It's what they taught. Uh, This was based on the wrong belief that if we sin in our physical bodies... It doesn't corrupt or affect our spirit, because they're unrelated. Spirit good, body but not so important. So this false teaching led to a confusion over Jesus. Audience participation on this one. Here's the question for you this morning. Just turn to the person next to you and take a guess. What do you think was the first heresy that the early church faced? Take a wild guess. What is, the, what is the first heresy the church had to face? Whether it's the divinity of Jesus, rejection of the Trinity, the inspiration of scriptures. Take a wild guess. What do you think is the first falsehood the church had to deal with? All right. The answer is docetism. Anybody guess docetism this morning? <laughs> Anybody come up with it? All right. Docetism is... Jesus is fully God, but not fully human. Jesus is fully God, but not fully human. And this led to a confusion over Jesus because the false teachers were saying that Jesus could not have been sinless and present in the physical body because the body is bad, matter is bad. And so they denied that Jesus was both fully human and fully God in favor of accepting only one half of his nature at the expense of the other. And this Gnostic influence also caused trouble amongst Christians because it falsely taught that we need greater revelation than what God has given us in Jesus and in scriptures. And this secret or hidden knowledge is available only to self-appointed gurus who know the secret things of God. And they are therefore to be followed over Jesus in the scriptures. Now you'll notice even in our text this morning, 1 John 4, verses 5 and 6, 
John is kind of getting at that when he says, they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. But we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. John is simply saying, we've been with Jesus and we have learned from Jesus how to live like Jesus. And there are others who do not follow Jesus and his way and they teach the opposite. So beware. These false teachers commonly taught that salvation does not come through faith in Jesus, but rather through the secret knowledge as taught by them. Now, a modern-day example of this trend, uh, you will know when people will say things like, I am not religious, I'm spiritual. Hear anybody say that nowadays? I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. It's very popular in our day to be spiritual, but no one knows what that means. Very often folks in our day will say, I don't know who God is, I don't know which religion is right, I don't know which religious teacher is right, I don't know which sacred book is, I don't know what's right and wrong, but I consider myself to be a very spiritual person. In other words, they don't believe it's the object of faith that is important, they believe it is in the sincerity of their faith. And so often on our day, you will hear people say, well, that's my truth. It's my truth. What is that truth based on? Don't know. But I really feel it. Okay? Really feel it. Now, in case you're wondering, Gnosticism is not just an old-fashioned belief from a bygone age. It is the fastest-growing philosophical system in the United States. Tom Wright, a brilliant theologian, had this description of Gnosticism. He writes, The world we live in of space, time, and matter is basically a bad place, according to Gnosticism. And it was made by a bad or incompetent God, and we are trapped within this bad world. And we are actually sparks of light. Or somewhere within our mortal body, there's a spark of light which has got trapped there and which is longing to escape and go off into the world. A pure spirit will be free and happy and whole again and set free from this nasty mortal world. And that the way to get that freedom is through acquiring this knowledge, this Gnosis, which is a knowledge about the true God, who is the high God, who didn't really have anything much to do with the making of the world, because that was a silly, shabby thing to do. And this true God, who really doesn't like material things at all, physicality, wants to get in touch with this divinity, this spark that is inside of you. And so the knowledge is the knowledge of God, the knowledge of how this wicked world was made, and the knowledge of who you really are. In other words, Gnosticism taught the God of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is a bad God. And he has created a bad world. And you are a spiritual being that wants to be set free from it all. Have no restraints on you whatsoever. Tom writes, this is the key thing fitting in exactly with so many elements in contemporary culture, where in half the movies that are made today, it's all about discovering who I really am. It's the message of our day. 
rather than the Christian message which is discovering that the God who made the world is the true God and he loves you to bits and wants to rescue you, not from materiality, but from the corruption of that materiality, which we call rebellion or idolatry or sin or wickedness. And these are just familiar messages in our day. We hear all the time, be true to who you really are. Be free to live however you wish to be free. Well, you hear at Mission Covenant Church, we are not about blind spirituality. We are about God revealed in Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly the issue that John is speaking to. And he's trying to get his little flock to be discerning, distinguishing people who can decide, am I following Jesus or am I following something else? Am I getting truths or am I getting lies? And is this going to lead to life or is this going to lead to just death? And so he starts actually in chapter 3, verse 24. He says, The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. That is the Holy Spirit. There is the Holy Spirit who is God, not just some impersonal force, but God in spirit. And the first thing that he says is that to be a Christ follower means that you have the spirit of God in you. Not some spark. You have the Spirit of God in you. And this is so important. This is the objective authentication of who is and who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is, do you have the Holy Spirit? And what the Holy Spirit brings is faith so that you can trust in God. What the Holy Spirit brings is conviction so you can repent of sin and accept Jesus' forgiveness What the Holy Spirit brings, according to Romans 5, 5, is love. So that you can now love God and love others. Romans 5, 5 says this, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know you're a follower of Jesus if you have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God comes and transforms your life so that you can love God and love others. That's why love is so important. And then he builds on this in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, dear friends, and we're going to run through this quick. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every talk radio show host. Don't believe every blog you read. Don't believe every podcast you hear. Don't believe every television personality. Don't believe every religious leader. Don't believe every philosophy. Don't believe every book. John says, dear friends, I love you so much. Don't believe in everything. Instead, test the spirits to see whether they are from God Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And false prophets here are the false teachers. And so you've got to be really careful to be critical and distinguish and discern what is good and what is garbage. 
And how do we do that? He says in verse 2 and 3, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which we have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. So how do you test for John? He says the answer is always Jesus. In the flesh. Uh, That's how John does everything. Uh, This is what I love about John. He makes it so simple. How do we know if we're following truth? Follow Jesus. How do we discern truth? Does it line up with Jesus? Uh, Every kid in Mission Kids learns this very early on. Anytime there's like a trivia game, somebody asks a question, if you just raise your hand and shout Jesus, you will win. It's the way it works. And this is a remarkable statement to make about someone who walked in a human fleshly body on earth. John says, you want to know what the Spirit of God is like? Look at Jesus. You know, a little kid is drawing a picture one day, and his mom says, what are you drawing? And the little kid says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she says, nobody knows what God looks like. And the kid says, well, they'll know when I'm done. How do we know what the Spirit of God looks like? That has been the great question of humankind since the very beginning. What is God's character? What is God's heart? What would it be like to be with Him? And of course, the problem, of course, is nobody really knows what God would look like. And Jesus came along and said, They will when I'm finished. Paul says something very similar in Colossians 2 verse 9. In that beautiful Christ hymn, Paul writes, For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And again, you see that emphasis there, in bodily form, because the Colossians didn't think of God being able to inhabit matter, the human fleshly body. And Paul and John say together, all of God right there in physical body is Jesus. And what this means is you can be absolutely confident of God's loving heart. This means I don't have to be afraid of God. If I wonder what does God think of little children, you just look at Jesus saying, let them come to me. If I wonder what does God really think of sinners like me, you listen to Jesus saying, for I have not come to seek and to save that which is, which is here, but with that which is lost. And if I wonder how does God really feel about suffering that tears me up, I look at Jesus weeping at the tomb of his friend. I don't have to wonder if he'll still forgive me when I sin. I don't have to avoid him when I feel inadequate. I can run into his arms anytime, day or night, no more being afraid of God. Jesus is God become flesh. You look at Jesus, you've seen God. 
And if you want to be an expert on God, you want to be a friend of Him and fall in love with Him, you want to know right from wrong, you want to know truth and falsehood, you want to know how to really live life, immerse yourself in the life of Jesus, friends. Anyone who teaches anything other than that is not plugged into the Spirit. Anyone who says that Jesus is a wonderful guy, but he wasn't God, or anyone that says that he may be a wonderful God, but he just wasn't a human being, flesh, both are necessary for you to understand who Jesus is. God became flesh. Jesus lives without sin. Though as Hebrew says, he is tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Jesus in the flesh goes to the cross and he dies, which is the wages of sin. And he is a substitute paying the penalty for my sin. And then he rises three days later, physically, bodily, victorious. Christus victor, as we used to say. And in so doing, as Colossians 3, 14 and 15 say, he conquered Satan. He disarmed him. He made him an open public spectacle of Satan. He triumphed over him. And now Jesus is supreme over all creation. And Jesus now gives you and I his victory. Because of the work through Jesus, I am now in Christ or as John likes to say in his letters, from God. Notice what he says in verse 4. You dear children are from God. It says again in verse 6, we are from God. We are from God. And because Jesus, God in flesh, is supreme over the evil one, we now sit in authority over Satan and his followers. Look at verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Not because of your own power, not because of your own goodness or your own ability, but because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, as God who became flesh and saved us from Satan, sin, and self, and the Spirit of God is now in you, the Spirit of God is the biggest kid on the block, and He can take anybody. And the Spirit of God is big enough to overpower any force that might hinder me from following Jesus and His way of life. You know, all of creation is under His Lordship. And they may not even know it, but all governments are under Jesus. He is over all networks, over every authority, over every addiction, over every hang-up, over every supernatural being. So I do not have to live fear of any of it. So when the enemy attacks us, when lies are thrown at us, Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You know, our victory is not contingent upon our ability to beat Satan, but upon Jesus' victory and the Holy Spirit's power. And this is so comforting. You see, God is a loving God. 
Even though we may not see him or hear him, he is right behind you. He is all around you. His spirit is in you. So when you go to bed tonight and you're tempted to despair because you've blown it, you have the spirit of God to come alongside you and say, I know all that. I know that. And you're still precious in my sight. I love you. When you wake up in the morning and you're tempted to be overwhelmed by all that you have to do, you remember He is with you. When you're tempted to sin and dishonor God, and you will be, and that's the sin thing that all of us wrestle with, next time you're tempted, remember, He is with you and will help you to overcome. When you're afraid, when you're anxious, when you're alone, when you're lonely, when you're despairing, when you're confused, when you're overwhelmed, remember, greater is the one who is in you. God is a loving God. He loved you so much that He became flesh, dwelled among us, showed us how to love Him and to love each other. And He died in our place to free us from Satan, sin, and self. And three days later, He came back from death to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that He alone is God. And He has given us His Spirit to lead guide and comfort us. God did this because He loves you very dearly. And it grieves Him so much when we would settle for being spiritual. When instead of just being spiritual, we could be spirit-filled and have life with God now and forevermore. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you love all of us. Every part of us, our whole being, that which is physical and that which is unseen. And it is your hope, your desire, your plan to redeem all things, to become God in all. God, I pray that those of us here this morning be reminded of the simple truth of your great love for us and that you've loved us so much that you became flesh. You didn't run from us, you became flesh and lived amongst us, showed us how to love, how to love well, how to love fully, and demonstrated that love by going to the cross, taking upon yourself the sins of the world. And now you have, your son has risen, physically risen, giving us, up, up, us that hope 
that one day all of us will also be redeemed. And in that time, we have your spirit. Your spirit that is with us, your presence that reminds us that we are loved and we are to love and equips us and comforts and guides us how to live that kind of a life. God, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your great love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.